In this episode of Tech Transformation, we're talking about learning to scale, both your tech stack and your tech career. We're talking with Jason Johnson, Chief Information Officer of Sweetwater, about what it's like moving up the ranks into the CIO role. We're talking about what makes a strong leader, and we're digging into the pros and cons when it comes to building your own tech in-house and what it can mean for the rest of your IT staff. Stay tuned for that and more on this episode of Tech Transformation. Welcome to Tech Transformation with CGT and RIS News, where we explore the innovative tech strategies and trends in retail and consumer goods. I'm Lisa Johnston, Senior Editor at CGT. And in this episode, I'm talking with Jason Johnson, Chief Information Officer of Sweetwater. Now, Sweetwater is a music instrument and audio retailer that got its start in the back of a VW bus in 1979, and now it brings in more than a billion dollars in revenue. It's a privately owned family business that employs over 2,600 people, and when Jason started, he was just the sixth person in IT. He joined as an IT specialist, and so we're going to talk today about what it's like moving from a fairly entry-level position to being the tech leader of a billion-dollar company. So Jason, welcome. Thanks so much for talking with me today. Start us out with some background on yourself and on Sweetwater. Yeah, so um, just a little bit about me. I'm, uh, like you said, Jason Johnson, Chief Information with Sweetwater Sound. I, um, I I started in IT when I was really young. I got my first consulting gig doing a CRM migration when I was actually 14. Um, I, I paid my sister to drive me to a local snack company um, and have just been super passionate about technology uh, uh, from the very, very beginning. Um, I uh, was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, joined the U.S. Navy. Uh, spent a lot of time out in California in the um, military R&D space, um, and then uh, decided uh, after I had um, uh, found my wife and had a couple kids uh, and was living in California that I really wanted to come back to the Midwest and landed here at Sweetwater um, in my in my very first role, which was an IT specialist. I started uh, on day two imaging computers and and working the help desk. Um, a Sweetwater uh, was doing a couple hundred million dollars worth of business at that time. And I was the sixth person to join to join IT. So, um, if you kind of fast forward today, we've got 125 people in IT. Um, we'll do about a little over 1.5 billion dollars this year, um, and it's just been an incredible, uh, you know, almost 10 years uh, as I've gotten to scale and, and grow the team. Okay, great. So let's dive in. Uh, so you started as an IT specialist, uh, as you noted, imaging computers on the help desk and answering service calls. And now you're the CIO. Can you give us a sense of the breadth of Sweetwater's IT department and how it's grown? And so Sweetwater's IT department has grown almost 50% um, year over year since since I became um, the leader of the IT department in, in 2015. I started at Sweetwater in 2013. Um, when I started, um, Sweetwater um, had been experiencing very, very rapid growth um, and was quickly actually the one of the very first problems that I dug into was um, we were out of server space and, and power in our in our little server room. And um, I had previously had some experience in virtualization and Sweetwater wasn't doing any virtualization. So we started virtualizing and consolidating things. Um, we ended up replacing uh, large chunks of our networks and really just kind of laying the groundwork for how a, a high growth company should be should be. Uh, doing network planning and, and infrastructure design. I had a background of degree in infrastructure um, and was doing that in the Navy. So for me, I had been exposed to a much bigger scale than Sweetwater was at, at the time. Um, and I was able to come in and say, these are the key resources. These are the key projects. These are the things that we need to do um, while I was working on the help desk. 
Um, because when you only have six people, you know, everybody kind of does a little bit of everything. And um, as we as we started to grow that server and infrastructure team and and those projects started being successful, um, I actually wrote a letter to the owner of the company and my boss. And I said, you know, I think we need an IT operations manager, someone to run the help desk and, and other things like that. And um, and I and I said, I, I selfishly feel like I'm the best candidate for that job. Um, but I feel so strongly about it that if you don't think I'm the best candidate for the job, um, we should post it and go hire someone. And I wrote a job description for it. And um, uh, after a couple of weeks of talking that through with leadership, they made me the first IT operations manager. And at that point, I took over the Sweetwater infrastructure team, which was uh, which was five people alone. Um, and uh, the gentleman that was running IT at the time was mostly focused on software development. And um, I was focused on on making sure that packets could could race across the building as fast as humanly possible. Um, I'm a firm believer uh, that if users know something's broken in IT before IT knows that you're not doing it right. And so some of those very first projects that I worked on were implementing instrumentation monitoring systems and trying to figure out where we had bottlenecks and things um, and really making sure that we understood the state of the union of our of our core infrastructure um, a lot better than anybody else did. And, and, and the culture and climate that I walked into was just the opposite. You know, it was user feedback, um, driving um, where, where the infrastructure team was going. And so we were kind of always behind the game. It was always deploy this app. Oh, we need more bandwidth. Deploy this thing. Um, and, and that put us ahead of the game in a big way. So you kind of um, moved from putting out fires to really starting planning ahead. To proactive work. Um, yeah. And, you know, proactive work is where I love to live. That's the, that's the fun stuff. Um, and so then shortly after that, I, um, uh, our director of IT stepped away and, and management asked me to move into, um, move into a vice president role. Um, and I did that. So within two years from being on the help desk, uh, I was uh, running the department. And um, when, uh, when I started that journey, I was asked to double the team again within the first three months of, of being in the position. So we were about, give or take, 12 people about then. And we wanted to get up to 24 really quickly. Um, Sweetwater's business was growing and we had a lot of opportunity uh, revolving around software development and our CRM system. And so there was a big press into uh, hiring um, more uh, software programmers. I, uh, uh, like I said, I had an infrastructure background, but uh, I learned to program because uh, I was in the Navy and we lost two people um, that were contractors doing software development and we didn't have money to backfill them. And I just kind of picked up a book and started programming and automating, uh, automating things around me so that I could do three people's job. Um, and so software development's always been a passion of mine. Um, and I thought that was really cool to, to, to dive into that side of the business. Is uh, it uh, too corny to say all hands on deck when you uh, when you had to uh, take over for those missing? <laughs> it was it was a, it, it was a, it was a fun um, it was a fun fun period of time uh, taking over that team and really getting to dig into the business. You know, Sweetwater runs all of its own builds all of its own software, and so um, designing software in an organization like that is is much less about. Uh, actually writing code and much more about understanding what the business objectives are and where the business needs to go and how you can support that through through process and, and software automation. So, um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, building your own tech, uh, you know, building all your technology in-house. I want to talk about that in a little bit, um, but I want to hear a little bit more about what it's been like for you moving from an IC role to senior leadership. You know, what have been some of the hardest challenges and, and can you talk about uh, any mistakes? Yeah, I've, I have... Um, 
lots of mistakes and there are challenges every day. Um, you know, I think it's uh, analogy I've used many times is like if I if I told you, Lisa, I was going to be a brain surgeon tomorrow, you'd go, Jason, let's talk about that. And yet um, and yet as an industry and, and frankly, across the board, even outside of our industry, we often find these like great individual contributors um, that we just push up into management and we give them very little resources to, to actually be successful. Um, I'm very fortunate that Sweetwater has a different feeling about that and that Sweetwater actually provides resources to help managers and is a very um, forward-thinking company as far as training and, and, and surrounding managers. So I knew, if, I knew that I wanted to be, to be in leadership um, and I knew that if I couldn't make it work at Sweetwater, I'm not quite sure where I could make it work. Um, with with all those extra resources. So I took the leap of faith um, there. And I'll just tell you, like, you know, it, it, it's the basics for me, the, the, the um, you know, hire slow, fire fast. I, I can't remember, or I remember one time we had a poor performing employee and I was working with them all the time. And um, we were just seeing ups and downs and, and all this stuff. And finally, um, we decided to part ways with them after almost a year. And uh, I remember sitting down and talking to the team about it. And the team looked at me and said, yeah, we wish you would have done that eight months ago. And you have one of those moments where you realize that it's your bias and your um, vulnerabilities and, and your insecurities that cause you not to do that and not necessarily what's the best for the greater team. Or frankly, um, I've tracked with that person and they they just weren't a good culture fit here. And, and you know, they went on to be incredibly successful in their career. And and, and some of those are some of the mistakes that you make. Um, you know, I would say my, my other big um, kind of lesson learned is, is creating a space um, for people, other people to fail. If you're a high performer, um, if you are rising through the ranks, you will always take that baggage of the things you implemented, the things you did, your successes. And obviously no one can do them better than you. Um, and so you have to kind of stand back and you have to play that safety net um, and you have to you have to make sure that that you are creating a safe environment for those other people to rise up in the same way that that you got to to come up um, and learn technologies. And oftentimes that revolves around having a major struggle of some sort. Um, you know, I, I like to say lead like a coach, not a king. You know, a king is there at the top, always telling everyone what to do. And a coach gets to be there in practice. And a coach definitely has influence during the game. But a coach is on a sideline during the game and the team is out on the field playing. And, and that's, I think, a really important distinction in my mind of continuing to ask yourself, when I'm not here, how is that game going to be played? And have I prepared people and created a safe space for them to, to really succeed? You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, not only is this your first CIO role, but this is the you're the first CIO for Sweetwater. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I'd like to hear why they decided to add this role. Yeah, so uh, I progressed from VP to senior VP to an official CIO role, and I think that's just a um, you know there are other roles at Sweetwater that 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 grew in that same progression, um, and I think that really speaks to um, the faith that the company has in in the team and the leadership across the board, but also um, the growth of the organization and 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 recognizing that 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 you need to push people into those roles um, to get them to act like and think like strategic drivers. Um, you know, Sweetwater functionally could still have me as a director of IT. Um, but, you know, when I when I think about what the expectations are of me with a chief title versus a director title, it is a lot more strategy. And in a fast growing company, you start to find that you need people strategizing. You need people working far out in advance of the actual day to day operations, figuring out how we're going to get where we need to go um, and not managing where we are going. Um, and I think that was a huge, um, a huge push uh, from Sweetwater on to me and, and several peers of mine as we've grown. 
So on the note of fast growing, I want to go back to when you talked about uh, your technology is primarily built in-house. So it's my understanding you do have some partners, but the majority of it is developed, it's, is, is proprietary. So yeah. I, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, what are some of the biggest benefits to operating that way? Yeah, so one of um, Sweetwater, uh, Sweetwater really started off on the custom software development world uh, very early on. We have been a Mac shop from the very, very beginning um, in the early 80s. Um, and if you zoom back there, you know, web applications and software as a service wasn't even a thing yet. Um, and as far as uh, line of business applications on the Mac, it almost just didn't exist. Um, Sweetwater started off their very first application in FileMaker, um, using FileMaker to, to run some processes around here. And um, as you, so, so I would say that that custom to software development uh, methodology was probably born out of necessity in the very beginning. And then when you start to um, you start to build all your own software, you kind of control the world around you. And I will tell you that um, we don't often have projects that fail um, because we just change we just change how things work. You get to change the rules, right? When you when it's your game, you get to make up the rules. And that builds a culture of of process improvement. Um, we um, you know we have we collect ideas and we take feedback from every employee at every level, and I can't and and every customer. You know, we had a customer scenario one time. Um, where we were sending emails at 11 o'clock in Indiana time. Uh, and they said, you know, that's like six uh, in California. And one person gave us that feedback. And we immediately said, you know, we need time zone support on when we're sending emails. Let's let's go build that. And that was many, many years ago. But um, it it's almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point um, when you do that. Now, we do partner with companies. We don't um, like to reinvent the wheel. We like to stand on the shoulders of other giants and use engines and, and offload that. Um, but at the end of the day, the important distinction has always been for me um, that um, businesses should decide how their processes work based off of what's best for the customer, the employee, and ultimately the business. Then you figure out how to make software work around that. And I think what I see in peer groups and other places is oftentimes we start with the software we can afford or the software we think will work the best. And then we figure out what business processes we can achieve within that framework. Um, and that makes um, that, that first methodology makes Sweetwater extra special because we really do always sit down at a whiteboard and say, what's the best thing for the customer? And then my team gets to come in and go, how do we scale that? How do we make it happen hundreds of thousands of times a day, perfect every time, and really augment humans um, in our organization to be as smart as, as possible? And that's something that, that I just I love about uh, building custom software. Um, what is it like training your teams, though, on the, you know, from yeah, the other perspective? So, um, the great news is we have really high retention rates. So we have uh, almost every piece of software built in this building. We have a senior person in the building still here that can that can walk you through um, how we got to all those decisions and the design. Um, but we put a lot of effort into training on two fronts. I actually have an entire training team um, that that works in IT. Um, we have uh, we call it Launchpad, but we have um, we actually have a program where we train and onboard new employees and and continue that. Um, we do monthly. Um, not meet and greets, but kind of like uh, a small micro conferences around processes and technology. And we just we we just absolutely train everybody because new people that come in, they've never used our software before. <laughs> There's no book you can go buy that tells you how to use it. We've written one, but um, even that needs to be updated. And then on the latter side, um, as we've gotten bigger and bigger, and we've been fortunate enough to have enterprise agreements with some of our partners that are a la carte, um, I take very seriously evangelizing those platforms back into our development staff and making sure that we are getting the maximum ROI on those investments 
Um, because oftentimes in a big organization, you know, team A can buy something and it solves a pro- one problem and we get an enterprise agreement and you can go for years without any other team knowing that it even exists or what other problems that could solve. And so we take those things, we put them with our training team and we say, hey, go, go explain this to everybody. Make sure they understand that it's a tool that they can use, that they don't have to use, but it's available to them. And that's also paid um, big dividends in consolidating platforms and, and really making sure that we're getting all the benefit out of everything that we do. So I'm going, I mean, I'm going to guess there's probably a certain type of personality disposition that does well in this type of environment and probably one that, that not, not so much. Yeah. Um, so you have talked with us in the past about creating a culture of owners when it comes to tech success. So, you know, define that for us and, and, you know, how do you drive that kind of culture? Um, you know, truly empowering people, truly delegating, p- giving people, you know, we, I hate to use the word owner again because it was in the question, but really sitting teams, small, really focused teams down and saying, you own this process, you own this outcome, um, and it's on you. And, and everybody else in the department is here to support you in it, but it is on this team and this group and giving them an identity and a mission, um, I think is, is, is really, really important. Um, you know, hiring smart people, training them, pouring into them, all those, those things I would say are the basics, you know, definitely plays in. But I think that, I think it's really important to also um, instill in and make sure that those teams understand um, that it's okay to fail and it's okay to fail fast. We always say we choose to fail forward because if you fall forward, and get back up and still make progress, um, and own those own those uh, mistakes and own those successes. Um, we have actually a, a, a Sabian, one of our vendors, gave us a gong. There's a gong outside my office, and it's not <laughs> it's not odd to have a group team come out and and hit the gong and and start clapping because they had a huge success. So just building in a little little mechanisms where teams can teams can really reap those rewards of their hard work. Um, you know, I will tell you that's that's probably the hardest the hardest part um, of kind of culturizing to the Sweetwater way. Um, and I think that even though we say it, you oftentimes have to go through some significant or some failure um, and really feel the team wrap around you and and help you get back on on the right track before you really go. Wow, this is real. They really they really mean what they're saying here. There's not going to be a uh, you know no one's going to sit here and bop you on the head with the stick and say how'd you get this wrong. Um, that allows teams to create, to take more risks and build better software and dream bigger um, at the same time as they're getting stuff done. It, it sounds like you're really creating, you know, opportunities for teams to rally around each other. Yeah. And wow. and with a focus on a business outcome. I, I think people get this wrong so many, so many times. Like IT exists for the business. <laughs> Um, and I think in many organizations, you know, IT is either siloed or or IT is over in this corner. And in sometimes even within IT, they think, oh, you know, we exist for compliance. We exist, you know, so the business can get it done. We exist to provide Internet. That's why we exist. We exist to to technology stacks and tools. And, and we're here to serve the business and we're here to understand where the business is going. We're here to help facilitate the business's goal with our most powerful tool, which is technology. And so we always start with. What are we actually trying to do and where is the business trying to go and then work our way backwards into technology from there? Okay. Um, so you, I want to talk about LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, you, you recently wrote uh, a LinkedIn post, got a lot of attention calling on tech providers to be better selling partners. Um, and it was, it was about a five-step checklist on how they should be selling to Sweetwater uh, number one was uh, take care of your existing customers. Number two was do your research. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole list, but I do want to know, you know, first, what was the motivation for writing it? Um, was there a specific incident that, you know, kind of really pissed you off that that prompted you to sit down and, and bang that out? 
No, it didn't. Um, it, there was no specific incident. I, I, you know, I have had, uh, you know, I get sales pitches all day long. I get emails all day long. I'm sure everyone does. I get hundreds of LinkedIn messages to the point that I feel bad when I miss a one that's actually to me for for some reason. Um, and you know, and and I also get calls on my personal cell phone and my personal email. It seems like you know my information is now out in the wild. And and frankly, you know, if they were all great. I probably wouldn't mind it that much, but um, you know, I think people should be good at their jobs, um, and I think that uh, there's obviously a recipe out there that that some folks are pushing that that must work, or I hope it works because everybody's doing the same thing. Um, and yet, I feel so strongly that again, it's just the basics that can get deals done. You know, people do business with people, um, and 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 understanding that your technology has to solve a problem for me, um, and can't just look good or sound good or say words. Um, is is near and dear to my heart because um, you know I want to partner with I want to employ I want to partner with people who make my life easier and if you can make my life easier then you don't even have to worry about the sales um, but uh, getting there can be a challenge sometimes um, and and yeah, I'm passionate about that so it was fun to kind of see that post go viral uh, I was gonna say what was what was the how, yeah. what was the response it's it seemed yeah. pretty uh pretty active. A great response. Uh, I got several different uh, sales coaches actually reach out to me privately. And say, hey, <laughs> you know, um, can I use this in my training content? Or, you know, I've been thinking about this and and my director doesn't, you know, doesn't want to go this route. Um, and so that was kind of fun to see that uh, I wasn't alone in, in those feelings. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, I'd still say 90% of what I get is the same old, same old. So, you know, you, you can only hope, um, you know, I think that we all as an industry want everyone to be better. I think a rising tide raises all ships. But, you know, I think I want salespeople to be better. And if I can't give them a scorecard or I can't give them a recipe or feedback on how to get better, then I'm just part of the problem and not part of the solution. That's not where I want to be. So we talk a lot about uh, at CGT and RES the need for more collaboration between retail and consumer goods industries. And so in on that note, where do you see where do you think the industries could benefit from more collaboration? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think as we get into this privacy, privacy centri- centralized world um, and, you know, and it's kind of I can rant for a second, like, but, you know, I'm not sure that I totally believe that everybody wants privacy. And I'm sure I can create waves by saying that. But I, yeah, I, that I, sounds <laughs> I've never I've never once sat down in front of Netflix and never met anybody who's ever sat down in front of Netflix and said, man, I went home last night and I was just like really upset that Netflix gave me the perfect recommendation on the perfect show that I had never seen before. I can't believe they're abusing my privacy. You know, what people want is they want value from the tools that they're using. They want you to use their data to make a better experience. And if you're not going to do that, then don't use my data. They want to feel like their data is being valued. And, 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 and lastly, they want to make sure that their data doesn't get weaponized against them in the future. I mean, if you can make sure my data is secure and you can use it to make my life better, I believe people will give you whatever they want. Um, or whatever you want. Um, and so, so you really um, have to know what they want, right? I mean, that's really, the key. You really, you really yeah. have to know what they want because if you cross the line, you are going to piss them off. You are absolutely. And so, you know, I think some of the, the areas that we can focus on as a, as a larger technology community in, in retail and consumer goods is how do consumers want to handle identity management? That's a real problem for us as we, as we do ads and, and we try to make personalized experiences, you know, how do we do that at a large scale? How do we um, deal with security incidents and incidents response? And, and, you know, how do we communicate with people when things go poorly? 
Um, and I think most of us in technology know that a lot of times when things go poorly, it's not necessarily even within our control. It's a vendor or a supply chain thing or or something else. And we're just the kind of as retailers, we're kind of the last ones holding the card. Certainly there are instances where teams and uh, software developers and stuff make mistakes. But, you know, I, I think there needs to be a lot tighter, open, more broad conversation saying, here's kind of how, um, you know, here are the needs of, of the business and here are the needs of the consumers. And how do we blend those together in a healthy way that makes things better for them and experiences better for them, um, you know, and, and, and at the same time protects data and gives the business um, what they need to appropriately, you know, advertise. Um, whenever I see a retailer displaying me an ad on Google for a product I bought from them a year ago, I think, man, I just can't believe how much money they're, they're losing because, because they just couldn't figure that out. And, um, and I think right now it's a pretty disjoined conversation. So one of the things that Sweetwater is known for is that it sends candy with every purchase. Um, so you you let me know it started. It was a small thing. It started in the early days, um, but it you know really took off. It's definitely something you're known for. Uh, and so what I thought was really interesting is that there's actually a system behind this. Um, yeah. You said people can make their preferences known. Yeah. Um, I would like to let it be known. I don't like bit of honey, and I'm told that there's a way for me to communicate that. Yeah. Um, can you yeah. talk us a little bit about you know what goes into this? Yeah, so we have uh, we have a, actually in our CRM system we have a thing called uh, customer preference module, and and you know we track things like that. There there you know uh, lots of people love the candy. At the same time, we have uh, diabetics we serve and people with other types of needs that say no, we don't want candy. So. Um, we have lots of systems in place to make sure that candy gets in your box. We have lots of systems to make sure that if it doesn't get in your box, if that's what you want, or that you get all of Bit of Honeys or all of Fireballs. Um, you know, we handle a lot of that stuff, not as exceptions, but through process. I mean, um, you know, we believe that the choice is a big part of, of a customer experience. And so, you know, my job is then how do I scale that choice? And, you know, we're, we're bagging and shipping out, uh, you know, close to 20,000 uh, bags of candy a day and five people say they don't want candy, that becomes a pretty, a pretty hard exception process to manage. And so we surround it with tech and augment the people to do the right thing. So um, it's, it's very, very fun. Um, and and uh, we have uh, candy kind of all over. We're um, working through. A is there candy all over the office? Uh, there is out in our distribution center. Um, you know, we do, we, we, we kind of jokingly and unjokingly say, you know, you eat that candy, you're kind of stealing from the company. Um, you know, <laughs> it is a product that we ship. Um, so we can't have everybody just eating all the candy. But if uh, I would, I would be lying to you. I was a part of our, earlier last summer, where we were looking at different types of candy to include. And we were getting boxes of candy to sample and people were asking us to eat candy and tell us what they thought. And uh, that sounds terrible. I mean, yeah, it was awful, an awful yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> So very, very fun. We're going through a process of automating the bagging of that candy right now, which is also kind of fun and very unique. Um, and so uh, it, it adds a flavor of work. It adds a flavor of aspect to work that, you know, you just you just don't get everywhere. And so that makes it interesting and cool. So as part of tech transformation, we like to highlight people in the industry and resources where we think people could be learning from. So in your perspective, who is someone or, or what's a resource when it comes to learning more about tech leadership? Yeah, so um, I'm a huge, huge fan of a couple of guys um, that run a run a podcast. Um, it, they're they call it their Trinity series is free, um, but Manager Tools you can Google it. Um, just a great, great group of folks with um, a series of free podcasts. Um, and you know, I know Manager, and you might be an executive or director or whatever position. These are just the basics that go through one on ones and just kind of all the the good old fashioned leadership stuff. And I'll tell you, I have a heart for people that can. Um, uh, 
take lofty leadership ideas and break them down into very practical, actionable steps that you can go do tomorrow. Um, in fact, one of the things they talk about in their in their podcast is, um, yeah, we're going to give you these 10 actionable steps. Don't go do them all tomorrow. You'll probably <laughs> everyone around you out because you'll have such a habit change so fast. So I would say cover the basics. And then one of the most powerful things for me over the years, and I've gone through different people and different stuff, but like find a mentor or coach in your industry, in your space, um, you know, and and outside of your organization um, that you can really lean on and ask hard questions to. And I'll, I can tell you there's been several times in, in my career on, on many different topics where just having somebody from the outside looking in and kind of pushing you over the edge to, to, to take that leap of faith or to pull back or to do something a little differently has been hugely impactful for me. So create those kind of trust circles um, and, and, and find that coach. I think that's super important. So my last question is, um, and this is one that, that we were asking with every guest, what is an innovative retail experience that you've experienced personally, whether that's on, uh, whether that's in stores or online? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Um, I, I recently have been visiting this barber, this old school barber. You know, he's in a strip mall. His sign says barber. Uh, if you drove by. <laughs> Does he have the, uh, you know. The, oh, the yeah, strip? absolutely. Yeah. But if you drove by, you would probably look at that place and go, man, not a cool retail experience. But. He um, he is using the Square uh, Salon module for for the company Square, and just super cool. Communicates through the app, um, allows online booking. Um, you know, sends you a text message ten minutes before. It's not too intrusive, and yet exactly what we need. Um, and it's fun to see um, somebody who's a barber who, when I talked to him, wouldn't consider himself a technologist. Take this off the shelf thing, set it up, and 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 in his words, totally transform you know the way he does business. Um, because in my heart, I know that's the power of technology. And um, that's been fun. It's been fun to watch him kind of grow through that. Um, it's been fun to experience that as a consumer and have it be really uh, well executed and smooth and know that, man, that's a solution so many other people can do. So, um, you know, that that probably is one of my more recent ones that uh, I've, I've looked at and said, man, this is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Definitely plays into this learning to scale theme, too, that if they could do it, it's possible for for really any business. Yep. And um, so oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and 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 I believe um, that the best retail experience is that mom and pop store. It is that local person that knows you. They're the owner. They work all the time. And I think the fun part of working at Sweetwater is is I know the company believes that too, and we get to scale that up to thousands of transactions a day. And that's where technology comes in and kind of tees that up. And that's it's fun to see that on a much smaller scale. It plays into personalization without being creepy. Yep, absolutely. Great. Well, Jason, thanks so much for talking with me today. I uh, really enjoyed our conversation. I'm glad you were able to join us. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. For anyone who doesn't know, Jason is a member of the CGT RES Executive Council, which is a forum for innovators and disruptors from retail and consumer goods. Thanks for listening to Tech Transformation with CGT and RES News. Be sure to subscribe to learn more innovative strategies and trends in the retail and consumer goods industries. And don't forget to visit consumergoods.com and rasnews.com to sign up for our newsletters.